Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Samson Rope. Your climbing ropes aren't just tools of the trade. Your life literally depends on them. Specifically designed to endure any environment you throw at them, Samson climbing lines not only meet the rigors of your job, but are engineered to keep you safe. The result of a legacy of over 140 years of innovation. Hyperclimb is a new 100% polyester 11.7 millimeter double braid climbing line engineered for both moving and stationary rope systems that run well with your hardware and Pru6. Hyperclimb's low elongation is key for long ascents and dual purpose climbing. Hyperclimb from Samson, the strongest name in rope. Visit SampsonRope.com for more information. I'm Amanda Gasly. I'm the membership engagement coordinator for the Western Region for TCIA. I'm Rebecca Johnson. I'm a private consulting arborist with a focus on education and outreach out of Austin, Texas. I um, serve on the ISA Texas board as vice president, and I do several different fun things trying to improve the network for women in arboriculture. And I'm Christy Hiller, Vice President of Administration Operations, having been at TCIA for three years. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. So, um, Rebecca, right off the bat, something we like to ask people is, how did you get your start in the tree care industry? Because what we found is most people accidentally make it into the industry. Like, you fall in. Uh, how did you get your start? So, I mean, yeah, I guess I kind of fell in. Um, I grew up in a very small town in Southeast Oklahoma, fairly rural. Uh, my graduating class had 60 students. And uh, when I was in high school, I was going to study computers. So I was trying to do that whole honors track thing. Um, I took typing because I knew that would be really important for computers. But, you know, and a lot of my classmates couldn't understand why would you take typing? That's what secretaries do. I'm like, well, I, I, I just think it's really going to be important that we know how to type. And then I took um, physics and I was, I wanted to take calculus, but I had to take pre-calculus first in my mind, but it was such a small school that I was the only one in my class interested in pre-calculus. So they didn't offer the class. So instead they put me in bookkeeping because in their minds I took typing. So I was interested in that whole secretarial thing and bookkeeping's math and I was wanting a math. So let's just put her in bookkeeping. And I'm like, well, I know how to balance a checkbook. I really don't know that bookkeeping's where I need to be. So I went to the counselor and I said, this is, you know, I don't want to do this. This is not the class I want to be in. I don't want to waste a year. And so they pull up, the, this is like brand new for computer scheduling in my town. This was 1989, so fairly early for computers. They pull up with the computer, first year for computer. And we go down the list of classes. And I'm like, I've had that, I've had that, I've had that. Well, that's not something. And they, they come to this class, greenhouse management. And I'm like, you know, I like to garden with my dad. I like to walk in the woods. I like trees. Sure, why not? So I ended up in greenhouse management. And um, my teacher, Pinky Peace, had gone to school with my mother and my aunt. And they were very good friends. And he, kind, he noticed that I had a green thumb and I was really good at it. And so he put me in, and you had to be an FFA if you were in an ag class. And that was an ag class. So he put me on the nursery landscape judging team. And I did really well. I learned that I really love learning about plants and how they worked. And I learned, love identifying trees and the shrubs. Landscaping, nursery landscaping in that case is, you know, anything that's not just indoor plants. And so I thought, well, you know, I could study landscaping. That could be interesting. And I looked it up on the 
university and it was 165 hours of classwork. And I realized I don't really have a design eye. But while I was looking at, I came across forestry. Forestry, you can study forestry, that's a thing. So I studied forestry. I went to the local junior college and took, got my associate's degree in forestry, transferred to Oklahoma State, met my husband in the forestry program. And so we got married right after we graduated. And graduated into, that was 1995, the internet didn't exist. Oklahoma State was very much a traditional forestry school. And um, all the jobs came through the school. You didn't, there weren't, the internet didn't exist. All this stuff didn't really exist. So that you found out through jobs through your school. And so they would send jobs to my husband sometimes, but not really to me. And I figured out it was really hard to be a married couple in forestry with the job situation it was, it was. So I dropped out of the industry for close to 20 years. I did, I was a legal assistant. I did some other stuff. And then finally, but my husband stayed in trees all along. He discovered arboriculture, never been mentioned to us in our forestry school, had no idea. And so he kind of like taught me as we were going along as he was doing stuff, I would learn arboriculture with him. So in 2008, I studied and became a certified arborist. And then I had a few more years of trying to break into the field. And then I started as a, a volunteer coordinator and education coordinator for the local tree nonprofit. And I got very active with our ISA chapter and with all the different things like that. So I came into it early, I dropped out, and then I managed to come back into it. But I am one of the few people that has a forestry degree in the tree field. That's great. I, that whole story just, I can't believe that, you know, you, you fell out of it only to come back into it. I think that's, um, I don't know if it's unique or not, but most people usually fall into it and then stay stay with it so it's it's unique to hear the other perspective of coming back and I guess in coming back what kind of things did you have to pick up and learn because uh, our boar culture is different than forestry and after being out of the industry again you know it seems like it's been progressing quickly in terms of technology and safety what were some things that you had to learn as you were coming back you know I was a total sponge I went to conferences as much as I could um my husband's very active with ISA. He is a past ISA president. And so I had the opportunity to travel with him quite a bit. He would speak at conferences or he'd have other conferences to go to. So I was just a total sponge. I spent as much time just talking to people. And with his board service on ISA, I had access to other board members. I would travel as much as I could. So I would sit there and talk to people like Tom Smiley, um, Sharon Lilly, all these people, these great minds, and I could just sit there and listen to them and talk. For me, the transition from forestry to arboriculture, I had set up my forestry degree. I studied entomology, which was kind of, it, it was part of the degree, but didn't necessarily have to be. I studied entomology and wildlife and some other stuff that wasn't necessarily part of the degree, but it helped me be where I could understand stuff. Plant pathology was something. So I had this basics from college to build on. Of course, you know, it was 20 years. So it's amazing how much you can still remember from 1993. But, you know, things like learning the right way to prune, uh, learning the right way to plant trees, that was, you know, something that they were still kind of teaching plant deep because you can plant pines deep and mostly we were doing production forestry. And so you would plant pine trees, saplings, and you'd plant them deep. And so learning how to plant real trees correctly 
learning how to manage individual trees rather than the whole forest. But yeah, I had to be a sponge for a long time. And I still find myself being that sponge and going, absorbing as much as I can find. So you obviously have come into contact with a lot of people because you have been going to the conferences and been so heavily involved yourself with ISA. Um, So I guess one question that pops up fairly often is people are constantly looking for mentors. And I guess there's kind of the, I don't want to say stigma, but the feeling like you have to ask somebody, hey, will you be my mentor for them to technically be considered a mentor? Um, I guess really in its most basic form, how do, how do you find a mentor in the industry? You know, it's, yeah, what you talk about is hard. And I was, I've been thinking about this this week. The first time I ever heard the term mentor used to describe like an actual real person, not just this abstract in a book, was my husband talking about his mother's friend who was her mentor. And I'm like, wait, that's a real thing. Like that's a, that actually exists. That's not just this abstract thing that they talk about in books. And I did spend a lot of time trying to figure out how do you get a mentor? How do you find a mentor? And I started a job and I was assigned a mentor at work. And that doesn't, that, that doesn't work. This whole assigning a mentor there, sometimes it works, but most of the time it doesn't really work. They just aren't in that situation where they understand what you're doing. So I started reading all this, reading lots of books and everything. And I learned about this term, this idea of a personal board of directors where you don't have a mentor, you have people that you go to and you talk to about when you have specific things that come up or that you just get together with regularly and talk about things that are happening in your life. As far as, you know, a true mentor goes, the closest I have besides my husband, because, you know, and I don't recommend that your husband be your mentor. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's, it's a weird dynamic that happens sometimes, but Dana Karcher, who is on the ISA board, she's, um, with Davey Resource Group now, she's been with Arbor Day. She's been the closest thing I've had to a mentor. I call her sometimes and say, hey, Dana, I'm, I'm kind of stuck. I don't know where I'm going from here. And so she talks me through some stuff. But other than that, I've had people, just different people in the industry that I go, I reach out to for things. I started having problems at a job and I had, I reached out to one of my husband's employees that I knew was very, she was a strong woman, she was wonderful. And I said, I need to talk this out. And she walked, she walked it through with me. I wrote stuff because we realized that everything needed to be in written communication with that particular situation. So she helped me write stuff. She helped me to remove those weasel words, that softening words, not to be harsh, but to be factual and not downplay the issues that were going on. And then I also am very lucky and that I have an online community um, it's a knitting and crochet community called Ravelry, but they have bulletin boards and I have a community on there that is just full of, I want to say 60 women, probably 20 that are very, very active. And I can just take any question to them and they're going to give me brutal honesty with love. And that's my thing is you need somebody that's going to give you that brutal honesty and also like say, have you thought of this? Do you find, Rebecca, that people not in the industry are more brutally honest and they they have a fresher perspective about what you're going through? I do. Um, There are times that they tell me, look, you just need to, you've set boundaries and the boundaries are being bulldozed. Just remove yourself from the situation, which a lot of times I can't. I can't remove myself from the situation. 
because somebody is so awful. And so I hear them and I understand and I'm like, okay, that's great advice. What's your advice for when you can't get out of the situation? Because yeah, one of the big problems women have in this industry is people don't respect your boundaries. Serving on a board of directors, the people who are most, as a working board of directors, the people who are most active are the women because we get assigned tasks. And a lot of times they're tasks that would be maybe housekeeping, secretarial type tasks. And we end up spending all of our time on these tasks and don't get to be involved in the higher order stuff. And so I learned to set boundaries like, no, I don't have time to do your social media. I have time to help with this strategic planning, but not for your social media because social media is such a time suck. And there are other people that could do that. I want to be involved in this higher order planning. And so they helped me to be very loud about that and to understand I wasn't being unreasonable in saying, I understand that you want social media help, but I'm not that person. So kind of continuing off one of the points that you had brought up of where you said you don't recommend that your husband be your mentor, expanding that one out even further, can and should friends be your mentor? Should you go into a mentorship with the idea that you'll become friends or should it be something where you can be friends and they can also turn into a mentor? Is there some sort of fine line you have to draw between the two? So the problem with having a friend as a mentor is a lot of times they will use softening language. They won't push you to be, they won't push you as hard as you, maybe you need to be pushed. And a lot of times if they're your friend, you don't treat the mentoring relationship with the respect it needs. If you have set up a coffee date with a mentor, you're going to show up to that coffee date unless, you know, you're just something overwhelms you. If you set up a coffee date with a friend that maybe is going to be mentor, either one of you might cancel it because, you know, the dog threw up or something, something that's not like minor, but not big. So that's the problem we have. If you have your friends as your mentor, I do have a couple of friends that are in the profession. They're professional friends. We're friendly. We're close. We don't do a whole lot outside of the anything. And so I go to them first a lot of the times with things, but I understand that they're going to maybe be easier on me than I need them to be. And that's kind of the problem with having your spouse as your mentor. At the end of the day, he still has to live with you. And so sometimes it might put, you know, and my husband's one of those that he's going to push and that causes a little strife there. And that's why I don't recommend that your husband spouse be your mentor. However, you know, in my case, what my spouse has been good for and what my friends have been good for is introducing me to other people that might give me that perspective that I need. I've had, I've had really good luck and I've learned from my friends to say, that is a really hard problem. That problem sucks. I have, I don't have good advice for you. I'm here to listen to you as you vent about it, but for good advice, I, let me recommend you talk to Dana or Anne or somebody else. And I give them a name and I do an introduction if they don't know each other. Can we, for potentially the audience who doesn't know, can we go over what softening language is and why people go through and use it? It's a problem for women. We're brought up to not hurt people's feelings. So we do this up talk, which I have been doing quite a bit, this kind of questioning. And so if a woman comes to me and she makes a comment about oh, you know, Michael said this horrible thing to me. Michael told me that he couldn't, I couldn't work for him because his wife was jealous of me being there. Now I'm at a point like, well, Michael sucks. 
if it's somebody that you know you're kind of friendly with and you don't want to offend my you don't want to get back to Michael that you said Michael sucks you might say things like oh wow that's really hard that sucks you know what what can you we do about that you know oh well you know Michael Michael knows his wife best and he thinks she'll be jealous and I guess you just so it's like this wiggle words trying to figure out how to be friendly and nice not hurt somebody's feelings or you know the, in my case it was I really don't want to do this class whatever class that, you know I don't want to I don't want to study this they could say something nice like well you know if you don't want to you shouldn't do what you don't want to whereas a mentor would be like okay you don't want to but you really need to do this class and if you're not going to do this class what are you going to do that will get you that skill or knowledge that you need they won't just let you walk, walk away like, I don't want to. Friends might be like, well, of course you don't want to. You know, you need to take care of yourself. Self-care is most important. Don't do something that you don't want to do. The, but the mentor is going to ask those hard questions like, well, if you don't do it, where are you going to get this, this particular skill or knowledge that you need? You've identified that you need this knowledge. Where are you going to get it? Yeah, I think, I think the softening language is, is one of those things where if it's not soft, then it gets turned around to say, oh, she's, you know, for lack of a better word, a witch with a capital B. You can say it. This is a, we, oh, can, okay. put ex- we can put explicit on this podcast. <laughs> it's okay. This is Netflix. Good, good. So, you know, women, it, it's a double-edged sword, I think, for women, because it's like, if you're nice, you're too nice and they roll over you. And if you're not nice, they call you a and, you know, and you're deemed difficult to work with and all that fun stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's a fine line that I think women have to, to cross. Rebecca, can we get back? I was, I'm fascinated to know about your, your personal board of directors. What, how, how do you make that up and how do you decide who's on it? Is, is it like a one person per kind of a category that you may have, like finance or something? So it changes depending on... I have a core group of people that I go to for various things. I have one friend that I go to specifically to help edit my writing. I do a couple of different writing things. And I just, yeah, it, it, it's kind of amorphous for me. For a lot of people, it would be much more direct. And I didn't ask anybody, are you, do you want to be on my personal board of directors? <laughs> I started referring to some people as, hey, my personal board of directors, and I've had women be extremely flattered by that. And I, what I tried to do is I tried to get a nice cross-section. So I have women who have been in the industry for years, women who are just entering the industry, women who are in different parts of the industry than me. I, I do private consulting, um, mostly education, honestly. Even my private consulting, most of my report is educating them about their trees. Right. And um, so I, but I like, I wanted to reach out and learn more about utility agriculture or something like that. So that's, I try to make sure that I have a good cross-section of people. I like to have the younger women too. Um, one thing I love about millennial, the millennial generation and the new generation coming up is they don't use as much softening language. They don't have as much problems maintaining their boundaries. They, they say, this sucks. I'm not going to take it. Whereas, you know, I'm Gen X and a lot of Gen X, I mean, we put up with being called Gen X, the generic generation. We didn't fight back against that. Millennials said, we don't want to be Gen Y. We're going to be millennials. They fought back against this term that somebody else gave them. We were brought up to think, you know, we need to respect. We need to just put up with whatever is thrown out at us. 
which never really fit with me. I'm not, I mean, maybe you can't, it's probably pretty obvious. I've never been somebody that just rolled over and took it. Um, sometimes I would because I had to, but for the most part, I've been somebody that stood up and said, you suck. And then <laughs> suffered the consequences for that. And I find, I love the millennials in that they figured out how to say this sucks, not you suck and change it and fix it. And so I, I go to them for my backbone a lot of the times. Now you brought up a lot of great points, Rebecca, in terms of your personal board of directors that that group kind of changes over the course of time. And you have a lot of different diversity within that group as well, too. And I know for me, as I look at those individuals that I surround around myself, I feel like I come out a stronger individual personally and professionally by having that diversity around me. And so for me, when I define my personal board of directors and, and individuals have come and gone throughout the course of my career, um, but to highlight certain ones, I have uh, one or two individuals that think very different than me, very different perspective, very different set of glasses, which is great for some awesome conversation. I have one individual who's just a cheerleader is there when we all have those moments that we might be second guessing ourselves, but it's just there to pick me up, boost the confidence and just plow me through to what I need to do to succeed in a function. I have another individual who's one step ahead of me of what position I want next in my career. I also have one who is several steps, a version of me in the future that I want to get to. And then the other individual, I also have on my personal board, uh, I call as a connector or an influencer. So there's so many things I wanna get myself involved into in terms of projects and, and uh, tasks. Um, and so this individual is really critical for me for connecting those dots. All right, Christy, you want to take a stab at getting your hands onto this and owning it? Let me connect you to the correct individual or let me get you exposed to this environment or to that opportunity. So for me, those are kind of the titles of those around me. But I know in about probably the next several years as I continue to grow and develop, I may have new individuals and I may have new roles, uh, but it's, it's supported me quite well. Some of them have turned into friendships along the way. Um, none of them have started off as a friend, but just through the natural touch points that come about, those moments where it's, it's raw, uh, some frustrations that have come up, they've turned into some really great relationships I can rely upon. Exactly. Yeah. I like the fact that you talk about, you look to somebody that's a few steps ahead of you. That's something that has been difficult in Arbor culture is that our career ladder is not defined. There's not a really easily defined career ladder. So a lot of times it's been, you know, coming back into the industry, I had a lot of time to think, what do I want to be? A lot of times it was, I didn't even know what options were out there until I started going to conferences and meeting people and finding out, I didn't realize that you could be a consulting arborist. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know somebody would pay you to come look at their trees and not actually do the work on them and actually prefer you to come look at their trees and not do the work because you're not going to recommend work that doesn't need to be done. I had no idea that that was a thing. And then, but at a conference, I met a woman who that was her full job was she was a consulting arborist and she was amazing and um, we're friendly. I wouldn't say we're friends, but we're friendly. And I go to her for advice sometimes, you know, how did you do this? How did you get started in this? And that's one thing I really appreciate about my board of directors is they help me to understand the options I might have that I didn't even know were out there. In choosing some of the people, I mean, I guess this is for both Christy, you and Rebecca, in choosing the people on your own personal board of directors, did you purposefully choose people who have similar career paths to you? Do you find it advantageous to try to follow in what 
somebody else is doing and modeling it based off of them or is it just kind of that's what happened like that's who you chose and they just so happen to be those kind of similar minded people for me it was an organic process it was a matter of the the time i was willing to put in the time that they were available to me uh the truthful feedback they were able to give me as I've grown within my career. But for me, I did not seek them out with the intent for them to be on my board. I, it just came about organically in terms of their interest in terms of supporting me and see me grow in my career. I liked what you said about the cheerleader too. I think that's an important person to have because we're all going to hit that point where we're feeling really down. So one of, one of my favorite board members is my cheerleader. I know I don't need to, I should not go to her for brutal honesty because she's my cheerleader. She's the person that is going to say, you're so awesome. I love you dearly, you know, and that's, that's her role. I won't be upset if she loses that role and be, moves into a role of being, you know, push me to do stuff. But if she does, then I'll find another cheerleader. That's not how it started with her. Actually, it started with me being more of a mentor teacher to her and helping her develop some skills, public speaking skills that she didn't have, and then helping introduce her to people to give her jobs. So it's this mutual relationship we have. I introduce her to potential jobs that I think are great jobs. They just aren't a good fit for me, but I can tell that they're a good fit for her. And then meanwhile, she just keeps my spirits lifted. For me, that's a lot of it has just been that mutual support that you find people. I agree with Christy. It's been very organic. Sometimes it's that I find somebody that I really admire and just start talking to them. Linda Chalker Scott that does a lot of agriculture myth stuff. I just met her at a conference and just started talking to her and I just appreciate her strength of character I wouldn't say she's on my personal board of directors, but she's somebody that I look up to and that I see and I find interesting. I love her strength of character. I love that she's so strong. And so eventually she could be somebody that I might be going to for help in that part of my life. She's, I've kept her in the back of my mind. I've maintained that contact with her periodically. It's one time as much as I don't like social media sometimes, it is nice that I can keep track of people and we can find those touch points, especially in this time of COVID where we can't get together for conferences. I'm an extrovert. I miss conferences so much. I have a question about touching base between uh, being an extrovert, but we got to go for a quick break for a commercial for Amy. Hey, my name is Amy Tatro from TCIA, and I'd like to take a moment to speak to you about our annual Women in Tree Care Forum at TCI Expo. Although it's early in the year right now, I'm recording this in February, 2021, we're already excited to meet you in person in Indianapolis, November 4th through the 6th for the world's largest tree care industry trade show and conference. As we get ready, TCIA is beginning to plan our education, our networking and more for the Women in Tree Care Forum. And for the first time, we're opening up the opportunity for multiple sponsorships of this event. So are you looking to support education at the forum, support attendee scholarships, or even provide some raffle prizes? Consider sponsoring the TCI Expo Women in Tree Care Forum. Interested? Want to learn more? Shoot me a note, atatro at tcia.org. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. 
so continue off the the extrovert comment that you made that you're an extrovert and you you miss conferences and I'm assuming a lot of your networking with mentors happening or that happens organically happens through stuff like that. Um, I think we overlook sometimes and we as in, I mean as people who are more extroverted overlook at how difficult it may be for somebody who is more introverted to go to a big overwhelming conference and then be told to network organically well most of them are shaking what kind of advice do you have for approaching this organically because I know giving it a script is no longer organic however I do think that hints sometimes a survival guide of sorts could be incredibly helpful to some people who are less extroverted. I am an extrovert, but I'm also, um, especially as I entered into the field, was very anxiety prone. I found what made the difference for me was finding that one person that I connected to that was also real, that connector that Christy mentioned, that person that connects you. And then that's been the role that I try to do. I try to find, I try to be that person that somebody who is introverted and a little unsure of themselves can come to me and I will introduce them to somebody else. And I don't like, I'm an extrovert, but I hate crowds. I have a hard time hearing in crowds, especially as I'm getting a little older, the auditory processing is a problem. So you usually will find me at a conference on the edges and I'm talking to people and I'm, I'm finally to the point where people come to me rather than me having to go to people and then slowly edge them to the edge. But that's what I think. Find that person if you're introverted and understand that it's good to be introverted. That's a different type of person and it's a good type of person as well. But find that person who understands what introversion means, that understands that your energy may get sapped by all the extra people around. And that will, can help you connect you into smaller groups, someplace small and more quiet. Somebody that will say, hey, why don't we go, why don't we step out and go get a drink of water or, you know, an actual drink, maybe. I don't drink at conferences anymore. <laughs> There's no real story behind that. I just don't. But, you know, some, why don't we step out and go get a snack or a drink or something, just the four of us and continuing this conversation. That person is really vital to have on your personal board of directors. Somebody that will do that with you. And then once the conversation starts going between you and whoever, leave. And that's, a, that's the hard part for me is that leaving. And sometimes as an introvert or somebody who has social anxiety, you get stuck in a conversation with somebody. You can't get away. And I've learned a few tricks there. Um, one is to see somebody across the room like, oh my goodness, I just saw Linda across the room. I need to go talk to Linda real quick. It was great talking to you. Sometimes that works. Sometimes they follow. The other one, which I always feel just a little bad about, just a little, is I see somebody and I say, oh my goodness, have you met my friend, John? And I introduce the two of them, get them talking. And then I just kind of fade out. But, and that's a good trick for introverts too, is once you start feeling overwhelmed, it can add to your social anxiety of feeling like if I leave, they're going to think poorly of me. But if you bring somebody else in, and then leave, they don't even notice you left. And so you can step away, you can go outside, get your breath, get your energy back. I want people to be aware of what gets their energy. For me, honestly, it is that energy. I get my energy from other people. I don't manufacture a lot of my own energy. Introverts and manufacture their own energy and then extroverts like me steal it from them. So, you know, I, I, no, I was gonna say, I, that's, that's a, the most, Apropos definition, uh, as an introvert most of my life, and I think as I get older, the less I am, 
but I think there's a spectrum um, by which you can do that. And I've been at conferences, yes, and it is overwhelming and you're walking in and all these people seem to know each other and they don't know who you are. And then <clears throat> I remember once um, just kind of getting a lay of the land and I saw one person sitting off by herself and I'm like, oh, a safe haven, uh, an island for me. And so I went over and as hard for me to do is to go in and said, hi, I'm Amanda. Where are you from? What do you do? And just get them talking because I was trained as a reporter and it's easier for me to ask questions and have them talk rather so I don't have to talk. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. Um, but yeah, it is, and it, it is important. And some of the stuff that, you know, they make you do in some of these conferences, I remember one, it was this, this treasure hunt and I'm like, oh, I just cannot be bothered doing these things. So yeah, it is, it is a, um, your definition was a good one. You know, and I do want to differentiate between the idea of social anxiety and introversion. You can be an introvert with social anxiety. You can be an extrovert with social anxiety. The two aren't hand in hand. Um, my husband is introverted, but most people think he's quite extroverted because he's outgoing, right. which is part of why I know what the idea. I know that he's going to need a break periodically in a big networking event to go get his breath and get his energy back. And so that's when our partnership works in is that I step in and I become that person while he disappears for a few minutes. And I'm happy to do that for any of my friends too. And I make sure all my friends know, you know, if you ever just send me a look and I'll come over and help rescue you. And they do the same for me. I'm lucky in that while I do often have social anxiety, I'm really uncomfortable in new situations. I've learned to overcome a lot of that. But yeah, like Amanda said, that first, those first few conferences, my husband was busy. He was working the conference. It wasn't just that he was there at the conference. He was busy and he was the only person I knew. So I had to go out and meet new people. And I had this in, you know, oh, I'm Paul's wife. But, you know, you don't want to be Paul's wife. You don't want to be somebody's wife at a conference, a professional conference that you're trying to be in the profession and be taken seriously. And I mean, for me, the most exciting term from time for me at a conference was when somebody turned around to introduce me to my husband. <laughs> they didn't know that he was my, I'm like, oh good, they know me as me now. I'm not just his wife. One of the things I try to do really hard is I try to remember what it was like my first conference. And I try to look around the room and see the people who are looking unsure of themselves and go and introduce myself and talk to them, ask them the, like, you know, Amanda says, ask them the questions. I find out the most fascinating things about people. They, you know, they open up, they tell me these wonderful stories and it's so much fun. You know, we talk a little bit about some of the conferences face-to-face, -face. another avenue, especially with COVID is online forums and virtual summits. And I think in this day of age, social media, whether it be Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, you can also find other individuals potentially to become part of your board of directors. It's also just a matter of reaching out one-to-one -one and saying, hey, great, either, you know, I, I liked your input earlier on, or if they had given a presentation, I often find myself in this day of age attending a fair amount of webinars online. And you don't have that opportunity to be in a large conference room. So constantly what I'm doing is snapshotting 
the attendees, what their perspective was, and if I feel like they would be a nice complement uh, to uh, perspective or skill set or knowledge gained, I do follow up with them one-to-one. And, and sometimes it can be a little bit more comfortable to do a one-to-one conversation versus being in a large ballroom. Yeah. And we're all becoming more confident with Zoom. I do like being able to see face-to-face when I'm talking instead of just being on the phone um, while being aware that a lot of people have Zoom fatigue. There are days when I'm like, I've been on Zoom all day long. I'm not touching my computer. You're not putting that camera in my face. But it's nice to have that, be able to make that eye contact via Zoom. Part of my education, I bought a Zoom. I had to get a Zoom professional account. And so I had this professional account that I was using. I'm paying for it. I got to get my money's worth. You know, I'm one of those people that I've got to get my money's worth out of everything. And so I launched the Women in Arboriculture Zoom hour thinking, okay, it'll be an hour. We'll do it a couple of times and that'll be it. The first one went for two and a half hours. And I finally had to say, hey folks, I got to cut you off. I, my husband's waiting for me. He's been patient, but you know, he's, he wants supper <laughs> and he eats, you know, he cooks. I'm, it's not like I was cooking supper, but we like to eat together and connect. He's been gone all day. And it's like, you know, and so then we met again and again, it went for two and a half hours and I had to cut people off and I'm still cutting people off at two hours, but what I'm finding, yeah, I get a chance to meet women that I've never met before. Cause it's different. It's there's a core group, but it's new women that I didn't know. And I'm finding fascinating things that women do. There's one woman that all, all she does is small tree care. I'm like, I didn't know that was a thing. I knew that that's what I kind of wanted to do myself. I want to focus on structural pruning when I do actual tree work. I didn't know that there was somebody already doing this. So now I'm like following her. I haven't reached out specifically to talk to her about it, but she's there in my mind. Like when I'm ready to do this part of my life, my career, I'm going to reach out to her and say, hey, Heather, how did you do that? How did you set that up, Heather? So Rebecca, um, what advice would you give um, on how to identify people to be your either on your personal board of directors or as, as someone, for instance, like myself or so, actually someone who actually does tree care work to identify people to be mentors, to reach out? What, what kind of advice do you have for that? One of the big things is make sure that the person that you're reaching out to, um, especially if you're going to like be publicly tied to them in some way is somebody that people respect or at least don't not like. There are some people in the industry that aren't doing things well. So make sure that they're following best management practices because you don't want to get, you don't want to be known as somebody's protege and that person's doing stuff that's wrong. Other than that, the main thing is to find out, are they that person that is going to give you good quality, honest advice? Sometimes that's about talking to other people. I have a couple of friends who put me, I knew Dana Karcher from other things, but a couple of friends are like, you really need to talk to Dana. Dana gives the best advice. Dana understands the industry better than most people, especially as a woman. So just talk to other people, find out what other people are saying, and then just figure out who you connect with. That's the big thing. If you don't connect with them on some level, it's not going to work. Now, you don't have to be best, you probably don't want to be best friends, but you want to have some kind of connection, a level of trust. I want to go back to talking about in-person events and events in general, because everything is going to open up. 
eventually and we will have all that kind of stuff back in thinking more towards um you know resources either towards looking for a mentor or for women looking for support in the industry what kind of in-person resources do you recommend and what kind of i guess online resources or forums do you recommend or in person honestly the women's tree climbing workshop was probably one of the best things i've done it's a weekend and it's based around tree climbing but it's really an empowerment retreat for women around tree climbing there was it was so empowering and the connections that you make with the women in the industry that is like to me, the number one thing to do after that, prioritize stuff that's more local to you because that way you're making connections to people nearby, but also make sure that you're doing those connections worldwide. Having that second, that outside perspective, Christy mentioned, you know, that she has these people that think differently than she does. You're going to find people that think differently locally. You're more likely to find somebody who thinks differently that's from a different geographic region. But yeah, prioritizing is hard. For me, so much of my prioritization, my, the way I prioritize is just like, well, what's available? What do I have time in my schedule to do? What do I have money to do? How can I get there? I don't think the virtual stuff is ever going to go away now. I don't think we're ever going to have a conference that's fully in-person and not also virtual at the same time. I think that genie's out of the bottle. And I think that's good because it enables people. I told them, I told the Texas board, you know, I don't go to conferences for the education so much as I go to conferences for the networking and the people I meet. And I thought that was really, really true. And I do think it's, I do still think it's true, but after the year of not having that, I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I do actually get a lot education out of it. I just, I got overwhelmed by the networking that I got and kind of forgot the things that I learned. And for me, I think that's the thing is like keeping that, the two ideas separate. There's the education and then there's the networking that happens. And it's important to make sure that you're focusing on both and keep them separate in your mind that they're both happening. And I don't think I actually answered your question. <laughs> you you did. No, um, I, it's funny because the, the Women's Tree Climbing Workshop also came up with our uh, episode with uh, Megan Kosensky, who was talking about how it was such a huge experience for her and how she said she would go back every single month if she had the opportunity to. So um, I guess we're plugging them because that's two people who have said it so far in the span of a month. It's a really good... And I, I, I have a hard time selling it to some women because they're like, well, I'm not, I, I don't like to tree. I don't, I'm not going to be a tree climber. They say I'm over 45. I'm not going to be a tree climber. I'm like, well, I'm over 45. I'm not going to ever be a production tree climber. But the fact is you're getting together with women in the industry and meeting other women. And it is very empowering. You know, a lot of men are concerned about when women get together, they just men bash. I hear that a lot. They're just, they're so negative toward men. I'm like, you know, honestly, it doesn't come up that much. Maybe it comes up in terms of how do I handle these unsolicited compliments that make me worry that maybe they're not paying attention to my safety on the job site because they're too busy looking at how that harness accentuates certain parts of my body. That's as close to man bashing as we get at these. They're really honestly just about finding your inner strength, overcoming something. And the 
corporate world, they have the ropes courses. This is just our ropes course. So we're coming up on almost an hour towards the end of our time and just trying to be conscious of everybody's time here. Um, Rebecca, is there something that you would like to bring up or talk about that we actually haven't had the chance to talk about yet or haven't brought up? Um, I am very encouraged by the changes I'm seeing in the industry. For so long, we've thought of tree care as being this brute force you need physical strength to do, largely because of our logging background, where the logging was so brute force. Now we have all these great mechanical advantages. We have the various pulley systems to help us climb better, foot ascenders, chest ascenders, those kinds of things that help us climb easier and better. And we're realizing that brute strength and brute force is not needed anymore. And I'm encouraged that I see that as people are changing, they're changing their minds. They're realizing that arboriculture is actually quite cerebral. There's a lot of thinking and knowledge that goes into proper tree care. And I'm really, I'm super encouraged that there's a place for geeks <laughs> and people that aren't strong, aren't physically strong. I love going to the International Tree Climbing Championships and seeing how diverse the climbers are. One of the top climbers, one of the top male climbers, honest to God, looks like he plays Dungeons and Dragons all the time. And he just has that stereotypical computer geek look. And he is one of the top 10 climbers in the world or, you know, within competition. I love that that's the case, that we're not just focusing on physical strength. We want physical, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, we want to be physically fit. We want fitness, but we don't necessarily need strength. And that's making a space for the women. I volunteer on the scoring team for ITCC uh, when I get a chance. So I get to see the raw scores of all the climbers. And the women are right there in the top. It won't be long that we don't need that separate women and men's category. I think it's still needed because opportunities for women to be climbers and opportunities for women in the field are still limited based on our gender. You know, we still have those problems of bosses saying, I can't hire a woman because my wife would be too jealous. or I can't hire a woman because then my crew would be distracted by the fact that there's a woman there. But I think it, I, I, I can tell it's getting so much better. It's so much better than I was when I graduated from college. It's everything. I'm just, yeah, I'm encouraged by the improvements I am seeing in the industry. We have work, but I'm encouraged. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Samson Rope. Your rigging ropes aren't just tools of the trade. They do the grunt work. They have to endure dynamic loads, abrasion, and moving through hardware while keeping you safe, which is why Samson rigging ropes are specifically designed and engineered to meet the rigors of your job, the result of a legacy of over 140 years of innovation. Stable braid rigging line is the industry standard for arborists. A durable polyester double braid rope with a high strength to weight ratio, torque-free construction with UV protection. Put stable braid to work for you. Stable braid from Samson, the strongest name in rope. Visit SampsonRope.com for more information.